It's been 60 years. It's been 60 years. (laughs) (laughs) All right, here we go. Sorry. Uh, Sorry. It's been 60 years since The Twilight Zone first aired, with the voice and eventually the face of its creator, Rod Serling. Now CBS All Access has brought the anthology series back in a new incarnation. This time, the host is Jordan Peele. Peele is also an executive producer, and the big cast includes Adam Scott, Kumail Nanjiani, Sanaa Lathan, Stephen Yun, Tracy Morgan, and a whole lot more. I'm Stephen Thompson. And I'm Linda Holmes. Here with me and Stephen in the studio to talk about the new Twilight Zone is Glenn Weldon of NPR's Arts Desk. Hi, Glenn. Hey, Linda. And in our fourth chair is Daisy Rosario of NPR member station WAMU here in D.C. Hi, Daisy. Hello. So we have all seen four episodes of the new Twilight Zone and uh, an untold number of episodes of the old Twilight Zone. <laughs> On that topic, Glenn, were you a an old Twilight Zone viewer at all? Yes. In college, they were running, I think, two episodes a night. So it became kind of appointment viewing. I'm pretty sure I've seen them all. It's a very specific flavor, isn't it, those old ones? Uh, they tend to be back in the day, very tidy little fables Uh where some Mm -hmm. minor little moral infraction causes some crazy, ridiculous consequences, uh, ridiculously harsh punishment. Don't get me started on time enough at last, the one that everybody loves. (laughs) (laughs) Burgess Meredith Prince's Glasses one because I hate it. (laughs) Um, You know, my favorite part of any given Twilight Zone wasn't necessarily the story. It's the moment when Rod Serling would step out Mm -hmm. uh, from behind a bush and he looked great (laughs) with the very skinny lapels and the even skinnier tail. And the brill cream and the usually the cigarette going. The cigarette uh, like like smoking. Yeah. Um, with those old ones, when you'd get the twist, when you'd get the game, when you'd figure out what it's about, you didn't have a lot of time to check your watch because it was 22 minutes long. The new one, in some cases, not all, I think they get better as they go, but an hour is just a lot of time yeah. for this kind of thing. It's interesting because the first one, which is the one that Camille Nagiani is in, and full disclosure has been on this show, we know a little, that one is the longest one, I think. Yeah. But to me, I will admit, I expected it to drag more than I found that it did. Mm-hmm. I felt like with that one, there were several levels of what the game is, right? One of the Twilight Zone's classic things is be careful what you wish for. And the you know power is awesome in both ways, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I kind of felt like that when I stayed with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I totally get what you're saying. Daisy, what was your reaction to these four episodes? Ooh, uh, they all felt long to me. Yeah. Yeah. Which was the biggest, I think, bummer. I mean, I just felt super aware of the fact that they were longer than I needed them to be. I'm a huge fan of the original series. I should say that. Like, I'm a really huge fan. I grew up on them. Like, I can't even remember the first time I saw them because it was the kind of thing my mom and I would watch together in reruns. And so it's been a constant in my life. I'm a huge fan in general. I've always really loved Rod Serling because of that. Like, I always had a poster of him above my desk kind of level of love. And the original series is very hit or miss as well. I mean, it it just really is. Like, you can make an incredible playlist. You can make a killer playlist of the videos of them if you leave out certain things. But it's up and down. But knowing that this is a completely new series and they're trying to, you know, right out the gate get your attention, I might not have made it really past the second episode if we weren't going to be talking about it. I probably would have put it on the back burner and go, I'll let that get a little further and revisit. Yeah, and see what people are saying about it. I've done that with many shows. And I think we should say probably that these four episodes, uh, the first one, Nanjiani plays a comedian who is kind of struggling and wants to be famous. Uh, A very kind of a classic Twilight Zone. Very Twilight Zone. Yes. (laughs) To me, the setup is the most Twilight Zone-y. 
Yeah. And the second one, Adam Scott plays a guy who's on a plane in kind of a spin on the William Shatner sees a monster on the wing of the plane episode, which is kind of a classic. But in that one, it's a different kind of thing. It has some of the same dynamics, but the ending is really different and didn't work for me. Stephen, what did you think about these? Well, I mean, I I will back up everything that Daisy and Glenn just said. The episodes tend to be too long. It is wildly uneven, just like the original. I did find that from episode to episode, because you have completely different stories to completely different cast, you have these tonal shifts that can be really, really wild, especially from episode to episode. I enjoyed the Kumail Nanjiani episode, in part because so much of it is Kumail Nanjiani on stage. (laughs) Um, So the fact that it dragged for 55 minutes when it probably should have been 35 didn't bother me as much. I thought the Adam Scott one was fine until that kind of dopey ending. And then you have the third episode replay with Sanaa Lathan. And it is a a more kind of wrenching, kind of hard sit. She's the mother of a son who is going to college and she's carrying around this old camcorder and she realizes through Twilight Zonian machinations that she can rewind time using the camcorder. And basically the camera becomes a metaphor for for the eternal vigilance required of African-Americans when dealing with the police. It is a very powerful episode. It is a very difficult episode to watch, but it is weird to have the experience of watching the Twilight Zone and have that burbling of dread and rage offset against the inherent corniness of the Twilight Zone where you have Jordan Peele kind of turn his head and say, the (laughs) Twilight Zone. And so that episode for me, you felt the corniness butting up against intensity and sincerity and powerful storytelling. And then the fourth episode, A Traveler, uh, that's the one with Steven Yeun and Greg Kinnear. It's an X-Files episode. It's exactly yeah. an X-Files episode. It's written by an X-Files writer. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I also think that is the one that is the most, to me, about that Stephen Young performance. Yeah. I think there's mm-hmm. there's not that much going in that on in that one that is interesting from a story perspective for me. But I love that performance. He's such an interesting <laughs> dude. It's interesting to watch this and also his performance in Burning. Yep. He's got a real handle on these kind of uncomfortably confident uh, sort of weaselly but charming. He's got a, a real style. Mm-hmm. I love his performance in it, but I got to the end of it and I was sort of like, I mean, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. the, the Sonal Lathan one I do want to comment. I love her. She's such a good actress. She's I go back with her to Love and Basketball yep. and oh, some other things. And she doesn't get necessarily as many great roles as she should. So I was really happy to see her in this. And I do think there's a poignancy to... Uh, I mean, the Twilight Zone has always been trying to use these hooks to tell a real story about morality. And I think it makes some sense that that morality has evolved a little bit because it's no longer just be careful what you wish for and stuff like that. I wrote about this when I when I reviewed it for NPR, but Serling had a real kind of don't, you know, just embrace your community. Don't let the community turn on each other. And this episode I like because it partly has an understanding that the community has already turned on certain people. There's not the same reverence, I don't think, Mm -hmm. for the small town, because a lot of times he would do the sort of the nuclear attack fear, rips the bandages off of all the wounds and the small town turns on each other. This, I think, relies more in an understanding that it already is a very dangerous situation for a lot of people and how they might respond. Yeah. One thing that is that I like about this series is that only one of the four that we've seen has a point of view character that's a white dude. 
any old uh, Twilight Zone I can think of, the point of view character is a white dude. I mean, I really liked having the there point of view women. character. There's some women. I know, some I know there's some, but <laughs> so in that Stephen Yun episode, which uh, hasn't aired yet, you know, the point of view character is uh, an Inuit woman police officer. Like, like when are you going to see that anywhere else? I mean, that's that's Jordan Peele. He's producing the show. He's also starring in it. And I do really want to pick up on something that, that Stephen said. You know, when Rod Serling would step out from behind a bush or just show up in the kitchen, you know, uh, there was something that was the game. He would be talking about very serious things, but just couched in this nostalgia. I don't, I don't know. And here, it really is like a record scratch because it is, and the word I used is corny. Uh, it's exactly the word <laughs> that you used. It's just, it just doesn't, it just doesn't work for me. I don't think we need it. It's funny because I watched the first couple episodes, then took a break and went back to it. And I actually think that's a better way to watch this show. This, oddly enough, is to me a very unbingeable show. I don't think binging a bunch of episodes at once is the best way to go. And it's a little bit better taken in piecemeal because it feels so piecemeal thematically from episode to episode. I'd actually taken down in my notes after you know watching the first couple episodes, I like the way this show leans into its corniness, I wrote. Like, mm-hmm. I think that that kind of silliness, when the concept is a little silly, when it's kind of overwrought, then that narration is fun and playful and you're just like, <laughs> I'm in the Twilight Zone. Yep. But when when the episode takes a, a serious, hard tonal shift, that doesn't work as well. And so this is really a show that I recommend kind of keeping your ear to the ground. And when people are talking about an episode being particularly good, go and chase that episode down if you have CBS All Access. I don't necessarily think you need to like sit down and spend a weekend mainlining it the way there are so many other shows that that works incredibly well doing. Yeah, I like it a little bit more, I think, than you guys do. And I liked that Sanaa Lathan episode, I think, more than you did. Because to me, it's not any more heavy in the sense that, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of old Twilight Zone episodes were about things like nuclear attacks and isolation and racism. No, and right. racism. Mm-hmm. The fear that was at the the absolute heart of the Twilight Zone for me always was the fear of being by yourself. The fear of being left alone is what many of those episodes rely upon. Not just the fear that you're going to wind, wind up on another planet, you know, <laughs> with no one around, although they did that story kind of several times, mm-hmm. but the fear that no one believes you about what you are seeing. That's kind of what the Shatner episode on the plane is. It's always been about this profound fear of being by yourself. And I think what I like about these episodes is they don't have a unifying you know, the one fear that you can kind of see running through all the episodes and not such a regard for community as a safeguard against problems. I don't think that episode is any more heavy. I think it's just more specific. Mm -hmm. I think it's more Mm -hmm. specific and it's more topical, but it's not any heavier than, you know, ones that were about other things. And including, as, as Glenn said, many were allegories about racism and xenophobia and other isms of different kinds. No, I would agree with that. I think also, as we're having this conversation, I'm also thinking a little bit about why didn't the Jordan Peele thing work? And it's also like, well, you know, Rod Serling, I I couldn't imagine him in sketch outfits from his previous, right? So there's, so the Jordan Peele is, is kind of showing up with this baggage of, he's hilarious and obviously um, incredibly smart. Like the fact that the person who made Get Out is the person that's bringing this show back gives me so much hope. Right, and I agree. Even though I 
didn't love these first few episodes as much as I would have liked, it's not something that I'm never going to revisit. But I do think in terms of how they bring him in, it feels weird, one, because we have these previous associations with him. You mean mean in Key and Peele? In Key and Peele, yeah. I mean, and when he was on Mad TV, I mean, he's just, he has these other images that he brings up and it's not like he's in Get Out. So as smart as that is, it's not how I picture him. But then also... You know, the original series, as much as Rod Serling came in, there were times where he kept it to a voiceover. Right. And mm-hmm. I think that in when I say they could have been more thoughtful in some of those moments in terms of how to bring in this major element of the original series, this host, this narrator. I think that's what I mean there, because it, it is almost distracting to me in that Sonali Ethan episode, which I really enjoyed that episode in a way that it, it works so much better in the Kamel Nanjiani episode. Mm-hmm. Peel talks has talked about that a little bit, that he wasn't sure whether he should do it because mm. he was afraid that it would set off a comedy instinct. And I think one thing that probably happened to me is I saw these right after I had seen Us. Right. So mm. I was very much in the mind of Jordan Peel fascinating horror director yeah. more than Jordan Peele, Key and Peele, Keanu, all that right. stuff right, right. <laughs> um, when it came into this. Well, I, I do want to hear what those of you who managed to catch at least an episode of this. I think the first episode is still on YouTube, the comedian episode, Yes, for you to check out if you want to get a taste. Uh, or let us know what you think. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PCHH or tweet us at PCHH and tell us what you think of The Twilight Zone. When we come back, it's going to be time for our favorite segment of this week and every week. What is making us happy this week? So come right back. Support for NPR and the following message come from Luminary. Luminary is a free new podcast app launching this spring. With Luminary, you can listen to the shows you already love or sign up for Luminary Premium, which gives you access to a network of 40 ad-free podcasts available only on Luminary Premium. And sign up for Luminary Premium before April 22nd to save a dollar off your subscription every month for the rest of your first year. Terms apply. Hey, it's Ophira Eisenberg, host of NPR's Ask Me Another, and I'm here to let you know that every Friday in April, we're bringing you an episode that spotlights women in comedy. You'll hear from Retta, the star of NBC's Parks and Recreation, and I'll talk to Russian doll actor Greta Lee and co-creator Leslie Headland, and many more. Listen now. Welcome back to Pop Culture Happy Hour. It's time for our favorite segment, What is Making Us Happy This Week? Stephen Thompson, what is making you happy this week? I spent a chunk of this weekend embarking on something I like to do every once in a while, and that is a Rob Delaney binge. Nice. Uh, I binged season four of Catastrophe, a show I so dearly love and have talked about multiple times on this show before. That binge was triggered by a wonderful 24-minute interview with Rob Delaney that I heard last week on Fresh Air. And if you have not heard Heard it... Heard of it? uh, Yeah. If you have not heard this interview, I'm, I'm guessing you've probably heard of Fresh Air, but if you've not heard this interview, I highly recommend tracking it down. Rob Delaney has had such an interesting and sad and fascinating and beautiful string of of years and some of that has fed into this wonderful wonderful show Uh, in the interview he talks about grief he lost a son fairly recently Uh, his writing process with Sharon Horgan the wonderful co-creator and co-star of Catastrophe and talks a lot about marriage and how this show tries to depict the harsh and wonderful and thorny realities of maintaining a long-term relationship it is such a wonderful show I am so 
sad that it is over. Those 24 magical episodes still live on Amazon Prime if you've not checked them out. Uh, And also, really, go track down this Fresh Air interview. It's terrific. He's so fun. Thank you very much, Stephen Thompson. I support that. Glenn Weldon, what is making you happy this week? Uh, You know, last year when I recommended a British narrative podcast called Wooden Overcoats, I heard from a lot of people saying, hey, this is is great. And I always like that when that happens. I like being right. Uh, Something happened that I like even more, which is people would say, oh, that's great. Uh, You should check out this. And the this in this case was Victoriosity. It's another British narrative podcast. This one is set in an alternate London, steampunk adjacent, I would say. And, uh, you know, I'm aware of steampunk's work, but that's not my thing. But Uh this is funny as hell. It's about this easily annoyed detective inspector and the uh, very eager reporter that they go on a case. There's a big overarching mystery. There's lots and lots and lots and lots of wordplay. It's good old-timey radio. And it's, you know, the Victoriosity is, refers to the fact that in this alternate universe, Queen Victoria is a uh, robot, basically. Oh, so, nice. uh, it's called Victoriosity, and you should check it out. Thank you very much, Glenn Weldon. Daisy Rosario, what is making you happy this week? I am happy about the fact that something I've loved for a long time is good again after not being good for a long time, mm. and that is Project Runway. Yes! Oh, right. I considered this as my pick. Oh, good, okay. good pick. I considered catastrophe. So, yep. yes, we are all <laughs> circling some very lovely drains this week. But I I am so thrilled that Project Runway is finally back to form. And, and I want to acknowledge that their last full regular season on Lifetime was actually a very good season. That it was, Somehow it was kind of very strong, but it felt like a blip. It seemed like they didn't quite know how they made that happen. It is back. New host, Carly Kloss, whose name I had heard before, but who I literally knew nothing about until the new show, and Christian Siriano, who is you know, the most successful Project Runway alum of all time, is replacing Tim Gunn. I love Tim Gunn, honestly, of all the elements changing. I was most nervous about the Tim Gunn thing, but Christian has been fantastic. The show is back. The tone of the show is changed, and it's, it's so excited to be back, and it's really being put together very well. This has been one of my all-time favorite shows. I love watching people do something that I am not capable of doing, and there's some personalities, but it's really about their skill. I love the show. It is back to form. Yes. Wow, yes. that is exciting. Yeah, I've dipped out of I dipped out of that show years and ago. Yeah. And I am so fascinated by the evolution as a human being of Christian Siriano. 100%. Yes. Because I, he was such an annoying twerp on his <laughs> original season of Project Runway, but you can't write people off when they're 23 years old. It's no. True. He's he's so good. He's so good he's as so a mentor. Good. He's wonderful. He's so smart. His comments are so smart. He understands where they are mentally in terms of the clock yeah. and he's just like you only have two hours but I should mention full disclosure super weird fact Christian Siriano used to be my friend's roommate years <laughs> ago um, back when I think he was like 17 and had just moved to New York I wow. don't think he would ever recognize me or remember <laughs> me but uh, always rooting for him nice. ever since that first season I agree with this so much oh good pick Daisy Rosario thank you, thank you very much what is making me happy this week and this is another been a favorite for a long time different tone different tone Been a favorite for a long time. I went back this weekend and I was watching some recent episodes of Property Brothers. Mm. (laughs) I don't know if you know this from Twitter, but I bought a house Mm. recently. And so I have been watching a lot of HGTV. And I went back and watched a bunch of Property Brothers. And you know what I learned? They've made some improvements to the format of Property Brothers. (laughs) And I was very surprised. They have stopped doing the thing where they take you to a house that they pretend is one of the possibilities. And then they say, well, this costs $8 million. Because everyone clearly was onto that scheme. So that whole thing just seemed so ridiculous that the person would be like, this is perfect. Let's buy this house. And they say, it's $8 million. 
But now they just say, we're going to take you to one for inspiration so that they no longer are going through that ridiculous charade. fraud. Charade, <laughs> yes. They've also kind of lightened up on the, it's this house versus this house. They just kind of show you two houses. And then they say, which of these two do you think would be good? As opposed to, you know, you're choosing between and drum roll. They kind of go through the process of buying it. They've also had a couple of episodes where they didn't get the house they tried to get first, which never, I feel like, used to happen. It's better. And to me, this show has been around for a zillion years and it's wildly successful. And I think they're very smart. This is kind of what's making me happy. It's not just Property Brothers, but you can take a show that's been around for a long time that has a formula and say, but what about the formula is kind of dumb? And you can change the dumb parts of the formula. So I feel like this is a great week for reality shows that have been around for a long time. You know, the last few seasons of Survivor have been great. (laughs) (laughs) It's like on season 38 and it has gotten so much better in recent years. It's true. And I think you can always you can always change it up. You can always find options. Options, and I'm happy that Daisy and I both are sort of in that camp. I love what Project Runway is right now, too. I almost picked it myself. And that is what is making me happy this week. That brings us to the end of our show. You can find all of us on Twitter. You can find me at Linda Holmes. You can find Stephen at I Dislike Stephen. You can find Glenn at G.H. Weldon and Daisy at Run DMR. You can find our producer Jessica Reedy at Jessica underscore Reedy and our producer emeritus and music director Mike Katzif at Mike Katzif, K-A-T-Z-I-F. Mike's band Hello Come In provides the music you are bobbing your head to right now. And thanks to all of you for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And if you have a second and you're so inclined, please subscribe to our newsletter at npr.org slash culture newsletter. And we will see you all right back here next week. <laughs>